Good morning, friends. So good to have you with us this morning. The, just to hear the congregation sing, oh, I need you, Lord, I need you every hour. I need you. Um, parents, does that resonate with you a little bit? You've heard your kids say that, right? I need you. I need you. You put them to bed and that's like that's ringing in my ears right now. Dad, I need you. Actually, it's usually mom. They're not generally calling for me. But there's something about that as we sing those songs, as our worship of this calling out, crying out, God, I need you. And there's something beautiful about that for us as a congregation to be able to say, I'm hopeless without you. I've got nowhere to go. Uh, without you and uh, it really is the position that we need to put ourselves in as we come into God's word uh, this morning so thank you so much it's so good to hear God's people singing I need you I need you so Lord one more time Lord we pray this morning we thank you for this time Uh, we do need you we need you to come and be in our presence this morning Lord to interact with us in a personal way we know that you are here uh, but we ask for you to prompt and prick our lives this morning. Uh, We need that today. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever loved someone? No answers. (laughs) I'm probably, it's a little bit of a loaded question because that word love is a little bit confused at times. So if I say, have you ever loved someone? Let me uh, clarify that a little bit. Uh, Not, have you ever had butterflies in your stomach. If I say, have you ever had butterflies in your stomach for someone, you are probably thinking of that middle school uh, awesomeness uh, that you had, uh, chasing after whoever that person was, and it just made you feel sick and happy and confused all at the same time. That's the butterflies uh, in your stomach type of approach. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying, are you uh, infatuated uh, with someone? My grandfather, uh, my grandmother's got a big birthday coming up and all the family will be uh, in town. That's later this uh, summer in July. We'll be all getting together. There's a kind of a family reunion coming together for her. My grandfather loves to tell the story. Uh, when they lived in Rochester, he was uh, working a job there in Rochester at uh, one of the colleges there. Construction guy, but he, so he's had to move around a lot uh, throughout his life. He'll live in a different city for a couple, three years for this big project, and then he'll move up and take on another big project in another city. And so my cousin and I, Jacob, we went and stayed with him one summer for two weeks. Uh, he was at his job site, and the uh, apartment complex that they were living in had a, a community pool there in the middle of the apartment complex. And he loves to draw out and tell the story about how Jacob and I were head over heels over Lucy. Now Lucy was the lifeguard at at the community pool. And Lucy was about two, maybe three years older than we were at the time. If we were 12 and 13, she might have been 16, 17. I don't know. I don't remember. I just remember Lucy. And, and, and Lucy was, was good looking, but she was smart. And here's why my likes to point out why smart. Because she had these two fools head over heels for her. And so she had every morning, she had to like scrub the pool or bring out all the different chairs and do all the stuff. And we met her every morning exactly when that place opened. <laughs> And she would talk to us and tell us that she appreciated us so much. And, and we did every bit of work that she had to do there <laughs> for her. Why? Because we were infatuated with her. And after two or three weeks uh, of, of helping her, and she brought us both 
a cheeseburger from McDonald's one morning to say thank you for all, you know, that was how she uh, did not reciprocate her love back for us, it turned out. And my cousin and I were kind of fighting over which one of us she was more interested in because he's a couple years older than me. So he was certain that he had a better shot than I did. And I was certain that because of my good looks, there was no chance that he had a better shot. When I say, have you loved someone, ever loved someone, I'm talking about this. I'm saying, if you, when you love someone, you abandon yourself for that person. You abandon yourself for that person, not you abandon that person. That's a, no, when I say when you love someone, you abandon yourself and all that you are for that person. That's the sermon title this morning. I'm trying to kind of build a case for what it looks like to really love someone. We're in this sermon series in the book of 1 Thessalonians called Until Jesus Returns. And what we learn Easter Sunday, and when we learned this season is that Jesus loved you so much that he abandoned himself for you. John chapter 15, he says, no greater love have any man than this, and he would lay down his life for his friends. He abandons everything for the sake of the one that he loves. So if you open your Bibles this morning with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul here is on a missionary crusade. He founds the Thessalonian church. He's driven out of Thessalonica by the jealous Jews. Over in Acts chapter 17, we've made reference to this a few times in this series. Uh, what happens when, when he arrives and tries to share the gospel in Thessalonica. Uh, Paul sent Silvanus and Timothy back to tell them so, so he could see how these Christians were doing because he only had just about three weeks with them before he was thrown out of the town. He was forced to leave them. He never forgot them, however. They were always on his mind. He's always able to say, I love you. I haven't forgotten about you. And what's really interesting about this text is that this is one of the, the earliest, if not the earliest text that we have in the New Testament, meaning it was the first one to be written down. The Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John come first, yes, in your Bibles because that's the narrative of what has happened. But actually what was written down first, we believe to be this First Thessalonians is one of the letters that was ever written and written most likely between 50 and 51 AD, only about 15 to 20 years after Jesus' death, resurrection. Uh, and so as he ascends into heaven, this is the most fresh take that we have on what the gospel was looking like. So while he was in Thessalonica, Paul is preaching and teaching and the leaders didn't like what he was doing, the religious leaders, and he was staying in the house of Jason, we find out. And as he's staying in the house of Jason, they can't find Paul. They don't know where Paul is, but they take Jason and they imprison Jason because they say that he is uh, holding a fugitive in his home is basically what they say about the Apostle Paul. Why? Because he was preaching and teaching about a king who was not Caesar. And so because of that, they, they take Jason and they put him in chains, thinking it best that if they did that, then they would be able to uh, get Paul to come in. But Paul, uh, the rest of the believers in the city protected Paul and his traveler Silas. Uh, he protects him. Then Jason pays his bond. And as they pay his bond and they get him out of prison, they say, I think it's going to be best for you to move on. But write us letters, talk to us, encourage us for what you see happening here in Thessalonica. And so we get this letter to the Thessalonians. Paul in this letter, you'll see particularly in chapter 2 where we are today, is defending himself 
for those who are saying awful things about him. His critics are talking about him. Why? Because he was only there for three weeks. And so he barely got an opportunity to build a case for what he was doing and why his ministry was there and what, what he was really trying to talk about. And so his critics had all the time, they already had thrown uh, Jason into prison uh, and, and, and he had already uh, thrown Paul and Silas out of the city, but now they were gonna even do more and try to defame the name of Paul. And so we see Paul addressing some of his critics. <coughs> so Paul's defending himself and those who were attacking his motives. If you get out a white sheet of paper you got in your bulletin this morning, it's a little bulletin uh, outline. It helps you know where I'm going with the sermon today. You can track along and see where we're at. Our Bibles, we are in a new international version of the Bible. And if you uh, need a version Bible or some way to follow along uh, with your phone, your iPad, your, your smart device to be able to track with us, we are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Your first fill-in for today is this. The abandoned life has pure motive. The abandoned life has a pure motive. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 beginning in verse 1 says this. You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. He said, I was only there for three weeks, but it was not a failure. The time is going to be well spent we dared to tell you the gospel in spite of the strong opposition. I would say so. They were thrown into prison. For the appeal we made does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never use flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for the praise from not from you or from anyone else else now these critics are saying things like this and this is I got this from a commentary I want to read this to you this religious huckster ran away suddenly and hasn't been heard from since have you used the word huckster in in your so I had to kind of think about it you know the adventures of Huckleberry Finn he's a huckster He's a swindler. He's a guy who's going in and he can't tell whether he's telling the truth or he's lying. He's always spinning a yarn. He's always telling a story. He's always out for himself. And so this huckster, they're saying, this Paul, ran away suddenly and hasn't been heard from since. They're saying he is a religious swindler, just like everyone else in the religion business. You feel like you've heard some of these things before? He uses religion to cover so that he can get your money. He's going to seduce your women. He's going to exalt himself and power over you. He's not sincere. When he thought he'd be exposed, he ran away, showing he doesn't care anything about you. This is kind of the storyline that those in opposition to Paul are sharing. This is the story that they're trying to build a case against Paul. And Paul is dealing with that here. Now last week uh, in April, of course, we had this ice storm. And I asked you earlier how many of you made it, and, and a number of you did. You made it here. Uh, we did something a little bit different last week, and some of you participated. Thank you for that. Instead of uh, service what it looks like today, we had a whiteboard out, and we talked about some of the points that are coming from these passages right here, coming out of uh, the first half of, of this section. So in the first few verses, uh, if you want to flip over your sheet of paper, I'm just going to give you my sermon notes from last week very quickly. Uh, some of you followed online, but it was actually inverted. So when I was writing words on the thing, it was writing backwards. And so uh, 
if you had a mirror with you, you could have probably figured out the hieroglyphics of what was going on there. Um, but just write these down, if nothing else, because I put some time into it, so I want you to think about it. Um, this is our sermon notes from last week, but I want to give you the reason why. Uh, we came, the gospel we carry. We came, the gospel we carry. So he says, we came to Thessalonica. We were carrying the gospel when we got there. We could have gone anywhere else, but we came to you and we carried the gospel. That's the first point. Second point, we dared the gospel we tell. Verse 2 says, we had previously suffered. We dared to go and tell you the gospel in spite of strong opposition. Third point, we speak the gospel entrusted. Verse 4, on the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. The authority by which Paul is sharing the gospel is actually the gospel. And that's the authority he is speaking with. And that's the authority by which he stands on. That's the foundation he stands on. And he says, we're not only speaking to you then, we're going to continue to speak and we'll continue to speak through the words that we write and to uh, the people who are also carrying this message forward. And then fourthly, we shared our lives as well. So we came, the gospel we carry. We dared, the gospel we tell. We speak, the gospel entrusted. We shared our lives as well. And what is going on here is you said, Paul is saying, I did not abandon you. I abandoned myself for you. He said, I am willing to go to any limits for the sake of the gospel. Why? Because I love you. And the arguers and the critics (coughs) are trying to to build this case that Paul was doing exactly the opposite. And he said, no, no, no. We came. We dared to come. We dared to share the gospel. We are speaking because we love you. And sometimes uh, people think that, well, I love this person, so I'm not going to share with them what's actually going on in their lives or what I actually see in your lives. You realize that the most loving thing you can do sometimes is to do what Paul is doing here, speak. And then we shared our lives as well. We'll be spending more time with that today. But he's saying, my motives are pure, My mission is clear. The mission here is the gospel. We came, we dared, we speak, we shared, and it's all related to the gospel. My motives are pure. Now, today, modern day, and this is starting here even in the first century church, but today, modern day, one of the things, one of the criticisms we hear as a church, and it's been going on for years and years, and it's not in this church, in all churches, is the church is after my money, right? Come on, nod your head. You know that I'm, okay, track with me here, okay. Or maybe that pastor is on a power trip. Nod your head, yeah. (laughs) Or the church just wants to pad their numbers by having you attend. All they're worried about is bucks and butts, right? This is the criticism of the church or even the church wants to be known or those Christians, they just need something to boycott or protest against. And if they run out of something, they'll just add another one to the list. So look out Disney, look out Target, we're coming for you, right? So for those critics, we want to understand that Paul, for that type of criticism, is saying, my motives are pure. 
we as a church need to understand that our motives had better be pure. And here are the motives that we have as our church. Here's our mission statement, and you'll see that it is the gospel. Our mission statement is this, we glorify God by making disciples of all nations. That is the mission. I went hiking a couple weeks ago, uh, and we went on the Appalachian Trail, and we, the Appalachian Trail intersects with something called the Yellow Mountain Trail. The Yellow Mountain Trail is there because the mission of this group during the Revolutionary War was that there was people in trouble on the other side of the mountain range. And they needed to send supplies and support to them there so that they could fight back against the Redcoats, right? And so the mission was we've got to get there to support them on the other side of that mountain range. The mission, we glorify God by making disciples of all nations. That is the mission. The vision was we're going to need to make our way through this trail. This yellow mountain trail is going to make its way through the mountain range to get there. That's how we're going to get there, why they need support, how we're going to follow this vision. And the vision statement we have as a church, and you heard it once already this morning, is we invite every man, woman, and child to find their place upward in Christ, inward in the church, and outward in the community. When I say find your place, we really do want you to find your place. And some of you are saying, wait a minute, uh, that would mean that this utopian world where everybody feels really, really good about themselves because they know they're in exactly the right spot that they are in. And that's not possible. Okay, I'll give you that. But that is the vision of the church would be that we are working towards that. We are trying to follow the mission that we would be able to do that. We would want to be able to see the vision. We invite every man, woman, and child. That means that no one is left out. And we pursue that. We chase that. We run after that. Our motives are pure. Our motives are all about Jesus, that we would glorify God by making disciples of all nations. And just like Paul was fighting back against his critics with clarity of mission, clarity of vision, clarity of focus, we as the local church do the same. When there are critics uh, against the pastor having a power trip, you had better know that my, my critics come after me, sure, but if you're going to talk to me, I'm going to talk to you about the mission and vision of the church because that goes on whether I'm your pastor or not. You understand that? And when we do membership classes, and if you want to be part of our DNA sessions, we started week one this morning, the introduction. There's plenty of room for more to come through this. As we were talking through <coughs> the DNA of the church, first, before we do anything else, we talk about what is the DNA of the church, not Randall Church. First, we need to understand what is the DNA of the church, because with that, if we've all got that interlocked, and you want to become part of the church at 630 on Main Street, that's great, but you had better know what the mission and vision that is laid out in scripture for the church is. Our motives are pure. And you know what a vision statement does? You know what having a mission statement does? It does this. It gives you focus when you're in the valley. It gives you a direction to go, a point to look at, say, we're going to the top of that hill, that point, that spot. It gives you clarity on the mountaintop. When you get, if you've ever gone hiking like that, if you ever got to the top and you're looking out over the mountain range and you're going, well, what am I looking at here? Which direction is New York? Which direction is Texas? Where am I headed? What's north, south, east? It gives you clarity so that you know why it is that you're there. And then it gives you intentionality along the journey. It gives you focus in the valley, clarity on the mountaintop, intentionality 
on the journey. The abandoned life has a pure motive. Secondly, the abandoned life has a parent's heart. The abandoned life has a parent's heart. Now this is important because some believers have lost uh, family relationships, maybe specifically, particularly in this time frame, or if you're in another context, or maybe it's you as well, that you have lost family connections because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul's extensive use of these family images and the role of the parent in the next few verses that we're going to see is implying, he's essentially portraying that the congregation is the new family and that those relationships substitute for those who have been broken or lost. That is the role of the church to fulfill that when those relationships are damaged or lost. Let's pick up in verse 7. Verse 7. Instead, we were like, uh, so pure motives. He's saying, I have not impure motives, but instead, verse 7, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so cared for you. Because we loved you so much, there it is again, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order to be a burden, uh, not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you. Not long ago, I read an article uh, and I pulled it back out this, this week, an interesting statement about the difference between mothers and fathers. Mothers tend to worry about their children's safety and security, and fathers tend to focus on their children's success. Mothers focus on their safety and security. They have anxiety over these things. Uh, mothers focus on being able to make sure that they are warm and cuddled at night. Dads, you make sure that they are not always going to need the blanket at night. Who is the one that takes the pacifier away from the kid? Who's the one that kicks them out? It's usually the dad, right? Why? Because the dad is focusing on their children's success. Understand that both of them are part of raising a child. And both of these are also part and necessary in serving the Lord. So here in this passage, we get this contrast between mothers and fathers. We see some of the distinguishing characteristics of mothers here is that they are gentle. We get the illustration of a mother who is breastfeeding her child and nourishing her child through her own body as Paul. He is saying, I'm a spiritual parent to you and through these letters to you, I'm doing my best to nourish you as the children of the faith through the word of God. Now it's a lovely image that is being drawn up. It's not really the initial image we think of when we think of the Apostle Paul as a breastfeeding mother. Uh, if you've read any of other Paul's writing, he is usually coming after you with a whip, it feels like. Like he's, he's got some bite to him. He's got some edge to him. But here he's saying gentle, strong, determined, zealous, passionate, yes. But he's saying, I'm also trying to be like a mother to you, to nourish you, to encourage you in faith in the word of God. Now fathers, fathers he says, uh, be encouraging, encouraging points to progress. And a spiritual father might say, I see your growth. I'm watching your steps of faith beyond your comfort zone. You are moving towards your potential. 
Usually, when your kids play sports, the coach that's on the sidelines is much more of an encourager than the dad who's across the field. The coach on the sidelines is saying, man, just go get him. You're doing a great job. I know you screwed that, but it's okay. It's all going to come. Just keep going out there. Keep trying. Keep working at it. And the dad's on the other side, like taking notes of, oh, yeah, missed that one, missed that one, missed that one. Encouraging. I see your growth. I see your potential. I believe in you. I am proud of you. Fathers, this is the role of a father. Spiritual fathers in the church, this is your role. Second, he says comforting. Comforting is to ease the grief or the distress, to console. When the daughter comes home and she's had a rough date, when she's been in a fender bender, a car accident, I'm, I'm using illustrations of stuff that is like, I'm just about to walk into with my kids. Like, we're in middle school, we're not driving yet, but I know it's coming. To console. Thirdly, urging. Urging is the strongest of the three because it suggests the idea of insisting or requiring that a certain course of action is going to be adopted right that pointing in a direction saying no this is what you are going to do I'm urging you I am imploring you this is the direction that you will head verse 8 says we cared for you we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God but our lives as well Depending on your translation, that first portion of the verse kind of crosses over verse 7, verse 8. We were delighted to share with you our lives. We cared for you like a mother cares for her children. There's a word in there that is actually uh, this, this drawing of a parent to a child that is actually in the Greek specific to a parent who has lost a child. And for me, as I was doing my study this week, and you've heard our story here a few times, is that we as a family lost a child at a year old a number of years ago, back in 2010. And that longing is in my heart for my son, Josiah, that, that desire for him to be part of our family, that there's something missing, that, that desire, the, 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 the delight it'll be when in glory I get to celebrate his life again. That is there, and it is saying that this is the role, this is the, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you our lives. We will care for you. That's the story that Paul is telling here. Mothers, be gentle, nourish, take care of that child. When we look at the local church, we should not miss this. Yes, the abandoned life has a parent's heart, but the church is made up of families. And so when I look at this text today, I, I want to take a little bit of a sidestep just to point out that, that families need to be able to look at this text and be able to say, there is something for me here when it comes to being a family, when it comes to leading the home. Because the church is made up of families. Yes, uh, God has desire for the church to have pure motives. God has desire for the church to uh, have an abandoned love and, and an abandoned heart and a parent's heart for its people. But we should not miss that there is a role of the family in the local church. There's a number of years ago now, we were 
sitting down with Aaron at one time at dinner. I, I don't remember where it was, if we were on a date or it was just after we put the kids to bed at some point. And with carefully chosen words, she pointed out to me this. As a leader of an organization, the local church, I'm always thinking through, I, I, I love reading leadership books and things like that, talking about these things I'm talking about today, mission, vision, focus, clarity, where is this organization heading? And I could tell you, as I am today, very clearly, if we met, I could draw it on a napkin for you, what it is that our church is doing and what are we pursuing and what are the outcomes of what we are doing. I can even share with you, in many cases, the mission and vision of organizations I have no part of, just because I'm interested in those things. And yet, when it came to our family, we felt directionless and without clarity, and without focus. The feeling of, let's just get the kids to bed, pass out, and hope tomorrow works out better. And some of you are in a phase that, that you're a little bit after that, where the kids are a little bit older and you're starting to see them go off to college, you're starting to see them go into new things, and some of you are looking back and going, oh no, did we have any focus? Did we have any attention, any direction? And so I would say this, as I said before, do you know what a family mission statement, vision statement does for your family? It gives you vision in the valley. It gives you clarity on the mountaintop. It gives you intentionality in the journey. It gives you vision in the valley. It gives you clarity on the mountaintop. It gives you intentionality on the journey. So we're going to pause for just a moment. First Thessalonians, we're going to turn over a couple of pages. I just want to share with you, this is our family's mission and vision statement. It does not mean that it is yours. What I am trying to encourage you to do today is to take the time to think through these things. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 1, please. Ephesians chapter 1. Because the abandoned life has a parent's heart. And a parent's heart ought to be forward thinking for their family. So for us, after some work, we are the Wilsons. We will be, we will know, we will love, we will go. It has to rhyme. That's just the way it works for me, okay? We will be, we will know, we will love, we will go. We the Wilsons, we will be, we tell our kids, be who you are. Ephesians chapter one, verse one says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Be who you are. Paul knew who he was. He's addressing this letter. He is very clear. He is writing a letter to the local church and it's the church that he has persecuted formerly. He was a Christian killer and now he is going to write them a letter and give them advice how to be Christ followers. But he doesn't hide it. Be who you are. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. He is being faithful to Christ. Be who you are. We will be. Secondly, we will know whose you are. So first we tell our kids, be who you are, know whose 
you are. Verse three, praise be to God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world, not only to be holy, but blameless in his sight. Before the creation of the world, he created you, son. He created you, daughter. He created you for a purpose. He chose you before the creation of the world to be holy and to be blameless. God did that with every spiritual blessing in Christ, it says. Don't forget whose you are. You are God's creation. Know whose you are. Third, we will love. Actions speak clear. Verse five, he says, in love he predestined for us to adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins and according to the riches of God's grace he has lavished on us. Adoption has a cost. Adoption, he has redeemed us through his blood. And so because of that, the ransom has been paid. So because of that, we will take steps. We will take action steps because the price was paid for us. And so we will love out as a family. We will be, we will know, we will love, we will go. Adventure is near. We like this one. It's important to us as a family with all wisdom and understanding. Verse nine, he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put in effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. It is mysterious how all these things come together and we as a family want our kids to pursue the mysterious the things that they can't quite understand, the things that they don't really believe that they would be able to do, but we're gonna still chase after it anyway. And so that adventure might be something that is thrill-seeking, yes, but that adventure might be something as simple as coming in front of people and talking. That adventure might be as simple as signing up for a class that they didn't think that they were ready for. Doing something out of the ordinary, mysterious, and doing so so that the times would reach their fulfillment to bring all unity and things under heaven and earth under Christ. That God uses all of those things to form us, to make us. We are the Wilsons. We will be. We will know. We will love. We will go. What does that do for us? It gives us vision in the valley. It gives us clarity on the mountaintop. It gives us intentionality in the journey. Back to 1 Thessalonians. The abandoned life has a pure motive. The abandoned life has a pure heart. The church needs a mission and vision statement that keeps its heart pure. It is made up of families. It is made up of a church that has to have a parent's heart to love and to care and to direct and admonish and point. Lastly, the abandoned life is a worthy life. The abandoned life is a worthy life. 1 Thessalonians 2.12b says, do these things so that we live lives worthy of God who calls you in his kingdom and in his glory. Paul caused the church to walk in a worthy manner. Spiritually, this is just simply putting one foot in front of the other. Forward progress, taking steps forward one day at a time, one moment at a time. For some, it needs to be one second at a time. 
Paul doesn't give them a list of rules or rituals or regulations. Instead, he urges them to become like Jesus in their character and in their conduct. We adjust ourselves to God. That makes us worthy, living a worthy life, worthy of God. We adjust ourselves to him. He does not adjust himself to us. He does not adapt himself. Now we can accept the call to many kingdoms. And if we accepted a call to a different type of kingdom, those kingdoms would compete for our commitment. Uh, they would give us certain rules, regulations, and false allegiances that would lure us away from our ultimate purpose. He is saying here, your allegiance is to God. And there are many different philosophies on how to live life. And all those will actually pander to your basic motives. They will talk about what are your motives for existence. And he says, God has designed you for a higher calling. The chief end of Paul's ministry is to communicate that we are to glorify and obey God. And if I know that it's God's kingdom of glory that I'm being called to, then all of a sudden it's much easier to follow through in life. We don't get distracted because it's the eternal kingdom of glory that I'm called to. It means that I want to live a life worthy of him. It means that this type of life is not earning God's favor. On the contrary, it's in response to who he is. He wants what's best for you. So my life becomes really, in many forms, a thank you card back to him. Spiritually, you may be nursing you may be crawling, you may be walking, and some of you might be running in stride. But are you moving forward? Are you moving forward? If you are growing, God is pleased. He wants his best for you. How will you respond to him today? This morning, the, the encouragement is that we will take steps forward. In your connection cards each week, we ask you, are there any steps that you are taking today? Is there a response from the message? Is there a song? Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Is that something that you would just write down and say, God, help me to understand what that means this morning? Those tiny steps, those steps forward may affect your spouse. Certainly, parents, those steps forward will affect your family. Those steps forward will most definitely affect this body, the local church. All those little steps all make a difference. And you can make a difference if you follow through with what God is calling you to do this morning. The sermon series is called Until Jesus Returns. And the question in many of our minds is, what am I supposed to be doing until Jesus comes back? Here it is. Here it is. So as the ushers come forward this morning, it's a time of offering. Yes, we bring our tithes and offerings before the Lord, but we also are asking you to turn those connection cards in, respond. Is there a way that God is calling you to act this morning? Steps forward that you need to be taking. I pray that there is. Dear Lord, we, we love you. We thank you. Lord, we pray that we are a people who are not infatuated with you or have butterflies in our stomach for you, Lord, but that we live abandoned lives for you. And just like Paul could say, with clarity, my motives are pure. And just like Paul could say, he said, I am 
I have a parent's heart. I'm worthy. I'm living a worthy life. Lord, let that be something we could speak at least a little bit more tomorrow. If there's any here this morning who do not know you, Lord, I pray that this message would prompt them to say, but you can. But you can. You can know the God of the universe in a personal and intimate way. That life does not have to be directionless and focusless, but instead God can give you purpose as he's already created you to be, to live a life of purpose. Lord, if there's some this morning, I pray that that would be their tiny step forward. We thank you for those whose tiny step this morning is just giving financially a little bit more or for the first time. Lord, we thank you for tiny steps. Because with tiny steps, Lord, we can make a difference. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray.